0: Kyrie has played with some of the best players ever, right? LeBron, very ball-dominant, also loves to pass. KD, ball-dominant, but also more off-ball work in terms of right. pin downs, flares. Can run pick and roll, scores in transition, but doesn't have to bring the ball of every play. Luca, high usage rate. Welcome back to the CJ McCullum show joined as always by Izzy Gutierrez. Izzy is casually sipping wine or was casually sipping <laughs> wine. I
1: just, I just told on him, I'm a little jealous. I'm drinking water for the moment. Um, <laughs> it's a little light Pinot Noir, you know, happy hour started a little early this evening. Nobody needs to know what time it is right now. Let's just keep it moving.
0: I love it. I love it on the next episode. Hopefully it's an off day for me and I'll, I'll, I'll join you with a virtual cheers and get you some McCullum Heritage 91 shipped oh, to yeah. your doorstep. But I'm here in New Orleans. um, Finally, long, long, long season so far, a long month, a long last three weeks. And we finally have a homestand where I'm able to um, enjoy sleeping in my own bed, seeing my son, my wife, playing with my dog and being able to kind of decompose before all-star break. This time of the year for you, what is your thought process on how you grade and rate teams? You know, we talked about the beginning of the season, 20 games in, is a 25? Now we're almost 60 games in. Like, how do you judge in great teams currently? And what's your thought process as you head into the All-Star break? You
1: know, it's funny because we don't... Um, like, I was looking at the standings earlier today, and I was like, man, I have no idea what to really make. It's like, yeah, there's some teams bunched up. There's also the trade deadline happening. So, you know, there's going to be some teams that you just look at differently. And so I'm thinking, how am I best going to sort of judge the sort of the hierarchy of the hierarchy of the league and I just started looking at point differential and normally in most sports it's a pretty decent way to judge uh, in your sport it's not always the best but it's a decent one for like you know 55 60 games to the season and you guys have a point differential of 1.8 uh, on the positive side which is fourth best in the Western Conference and like fifth is a good half point behind. So I look, I just try to try to find different ways to figure out who exactly is is doing well and who's a threat and who's going to sort of put themselves over the top at the trade deadline. Um, But the thing that sort of individually always intrigues me is stories like your team just went through, right? So not only do you have, um, you know, start off the season well, hit the number one seed for a second. And then hit, you know, pothole, road bump, bump on the road, whatever you want to call it. Injuries. And then it's a 10-game losing streak. All right. So you guys are are at a nine-game. Last time we talked, uh, I think Brian Windhorst was laughing at you because you had to go play Denver in Denver. And you (laughs) lost that game in Denver. But your next game after that was against Dallas in Dallas. And you had some flight issues. So just to sort of paint the picture here before you fill in the story, nine-game losing streak. Things can't be like pleasant everywhere you go, whether it be the practice court or the, the the flights from city to city. Now, tell me about what this flight situation was like going to Dallas and just what those just kind of feelings were while that was all happening. It was a nightmare,
0: um, to be honest with you. And as the president of the PA, it was even more of a nightmare because my teammates are looking at me like, this is your fault. You're supposed to be the president. Come on, Pres. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And I'm just getting the options. And I'm like, guys, you do understand that. I'm on the phone trying to figure out a solution for this. The solution is we could have traveled to a lot of places from Denver, but we couldn't travel to Dallas that night. And we couldn't travel to Dallas the next day because the airport was shut down. So we had to kind of figure out what we were going to do, how we we're going to play this game, understanding that Detroit was still in that city, the schedule conflicts that are associated with, a game cancellation this far into the season. You look at February, all-star break is literally a week or less than a week away. You look at March, then you go into playoffs in April. So it's like, when realistically are we going to be able to squeeze this game in in a way in which it doesn't add a back-to-back or potentially a back-to-back-to-back, depending on the schedule. And the concern was
1: winter weather, icy weather in Dallas. Shut Airport, shut down, right? Can't yep. operate
0: airport shutdown cannot operate. Detroit was stuck there. Detroit's game was canceled against, um, I think the Wizards. They were supposed to play the Wizards or somebody at home. Detroit couldn't get out. They ended up staying two extra days. The only reason they were able to get out is because our plane got in the day of our game, which takes me to, you know, what what we ended up settling on alongside the NBA was that um, in the event that we could land uh, a plane in Dallas, we would play the game if we couldn't and we would fly home and play the Lakers on um, Saturday, I believe, is, is what it ended up being. But... Um, it was a funny, funny day. They basically changed our flight time. We were supposed to have uh, bags picked up at 9, 15, 10 o'clock bus or something like that. They ended up moving everything up an hour. Bags were picked up at 8.30. We got detected like 7.30 while everybody was sleeping saying that everything got moved up an hour. Bus was going to depart at 9 instead of 10 so that we would get to the airport a little bit earlier. And we ended up being able to land. And that was a rough situation. I call it a schedule loss. And it's the, the worst time to have a schedule loss is when you are on a losing streak and the type of losing streak that we were on in which we were desperate, right? You just need to get one win and kind of put the rest behind you. As Coach said before, you know, it's in the Bible. We were in the wilderness, right? We just felt like, Hmm. you know, it was dark, some dark days, and you're just looking around at each other, and you're like, man, we got to figure this out. The games began to get harder and harder, and you start to see guys just not having as much fun, right, because of the wear and tear of we're losing, season's not going well, trade deadlines approaching what's going to happen guys keep getting hurt like what's going to happen to us as a team how do we overcome this what does this mean for us last season wasn't a great season you know in the beginning of the year and they didn't even go on a 10 game losing streak so what does that mean about us you know what i mean i think it it was a it was a tough moment for us to kind of figure out what we were going to do like were we going to just make excuses were we just going to say you know what we can't win this game we just flew in today we're going to go compete in the beginning. We weren't really competing. Yeah, we were down 30. <laughs>
1: and, you landed at what? Like 12 12:30, right? At Dallas time?
0: Uh 12:50 landed. Uh was was there for a while. Buses weren't there when we landed. Um so we waited mm-hmm. on the buses. Buses arrived. I think I got to my hotel room at 2:45. Um
1: normally what are you doing on a game day at 2:45 if you're playing at
0: 7:30? Sleep. Sleep. In in bed sleep or getting treatment. And mm-hmm. we were landing in, in commute. Everybody's routines were off um no no real treatment during the day because you're obviously traveling you land i had enough time to eat i took a shower i laid down for 25 minutes and then it was time to go to the arena and that mm-hmm. was the second bus who knows how fast everybody who took the first bus uh, had to end up leaving but we we didn't play particularly well the first 20 minutes of that game you go to the third quarter we'll kind of compete a little bit more Then luca gets hurt mm-hmm. and we end up we end up chasing them down and, and cutting it to I think two at one point, and almost win the game, some controversial calls down the stretch. Um, well let
1: that old boogeyman came back. Like you've got so all these things that you've got going on here, right? You've got this flight, you busted your butt to get there, you busted your butt to come back in the game and take me through that call, that out of bounds call there late. And in terms of all right, so take me through the play real quick because I gotta ask you a a potential rule change afterward.
0: So, on the play, ball out of bounds. Let's call it, what, five seconds left, maybe? Side out. Um, Ball ends up getting deflected, I believe. Guy takes a dribble, calls a timeout, so they can't advance it. Right. Ball has to be on the side. B.I. is guarding the inbounder. Hands are high. Hands are high. Hands are high. Inbounder throws the pass. B.I. jumps, times it, deflects it. Lands in bounds, jumps again, saves the ball. Saves the ball to one of my teammates. Teammate flips me the ball. Refs blow it dead. I have a great look for a three-pointer. We're down three. Refs blow it dead. They say that B.I. touched the ball while his feet were out of bounds. They cannot review the play, I guess. It's not a reviewable play. They go huddle up. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Give the ball to Dallas Mavericks with no explanation. I said, what happened? They said Brandon Ingram touched the ball while he was out of bounds. Maverick's ball. Turns out, as as we find out later after the game, ref made a mistake. Brandon actually wasn't out of bounds. When he deflected the ball, he was actually in bounds. Ref made another mistake. They ran time off the clock, an extra, I don't know, 1. 1.6, 1. 1.7, whatever it was, seconds. During it, Trey Murphy says, hey, you know, when you blew the whistle, the clock continued to run you know if it's if it is out, out of bounds and Brandon Ingram touched the ball right away while he's out of bounds the clock should have stopped right away since he was out of bounds and he touched the ball which is what you ruled why did we lose 2 seconds no explanation was given and game, you ended up
1: your final play was with 2.1 seconds so if you would have presumably had you know 4 point something down 5 and still been able to you know score and play the foul game one more time yeah or just be able to take the ball out of bounds you know
0: or me being able to shoot that three and make it. Well, that one, it. yeah, yeah. But long story short, it was another situation in which um, the incorrect call was made, and you could say that's why we lost. You could say that's why we didn't win, or whatever. But I mean, we we got ourselves in a hole. We were down thirty. But I say all this to say that it's ironic that this happens right after I have the speech about um, <laughs> of how hard the job is of a referee and right. how tough it is to be in that position and how all that defender. For Is an explanation and I am a ref defender, wholehearted ref defender. I support our referees, love everything about the job, love what goes into being a referee. Um, That happens to us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there, but if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free Bright Side Breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles, and really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle tonight La Quinta tomorrow you shine book direct at lq.com question though on in a late game situation under 2 minutes close game that out of bounds call if it's questionable at all shouldn't it trigger a review even there were, even if i mean cuz there technically there was a whistle right cuz it's a ball blown out of bounds and shouldn't you <laughs> want to get that call right It should.
0: It should. And I think that's something we're going to have to talk about with the competition committee and something that we're going to have to talk about as a league as a whole. There are certain plays and instances in which it's not reviewable, but it should be reviewable, especially if it's going to decide the game. And we've talked about the importance of every possession, talking about how close the league is this year for the first time since probably 2013. There's not a large disparity between each team, like three to like 12 is pretty close couple games, one game here or there. Look at the Lakers losing three or four games on a bad whistle. That's a five hundred team instead of an under five hundred team. It takes them from play in to locked in. You know what I mean? So I think with all that being said, there's a there's a way in which we probably have to discuss what should be reviewable that's currently not and what that format will look like and what time needs to be left on the clock for that to be reviewable.
1: Right. So there's not currently somebody watching every single game as it's happening uh, in Secaucus or in New Jersey. Cause to me, if it was like, if they could hire me for that, I would have watched that game and said, Hey, wait a second and press the easy button or whatever button you got to press to make a light go off and say, Hey, take a look at that. It's, it falls under the parameters under two minutes, whatever, whatever. And I, I think that's kind of an easy fix. I mean, it always sounds easier than what it probably actually is. I, I, mm-hmm.
0: I think there's a way we can definitely do this. We have to obviously agree to it. It needs to make sense. It needs to be able to keep the game flow going because one thing we don't want is people to be able to review over and over and it'd be a play in which it shouldn't be reviewable. And another team is just trying to draw up a, a out of bounds play or a late game play. But I think right. if it's going to help the quality of play, it's going to make our game better Then we have to consider it. And considering the fact that like LeBron and them, I'm not saying they should have able to challenge the the foul on the layup, but, when a play decides the game or could
1: potentially decide the game, it should be reviewable. It should be. Yeah. I mean, in a tie situation, I would say, you know, a literal final possession tie game with no shot clock on whatever happens in that possession. If it's questionable, review it because it's literally the game deciding play. You've already played everything else. It's a tie game with like less than, you know, 24 seconds left. Just go ahead and and take a look at the monitor. I don't think anybody's going to complain. But what So what is that feeling like in that post-game locker room where it almost literally feels like everything's working against you? Weather, travel, referees, you know, even, even getting the hope of winning that game was almost worse than just letting it yeah. just uh, play out the way it was played. What was that post-game locker room like before you go into the next game?
0: It showed a lot of character. It showed a lot of fight that we have. And, you know, considering the fact that we landed that same day and played and we're down 30 and didn't give up shows that we got guys who care. You know, we feel like we're always in the game. Uh, maybe we should have had a, more of a sense of urgency to start it. Similar sense of urgency that we had when we were down 30. But I think from an execution standpoint, we knew we were close. We knew we had lost a few games um, in a row in which we competed. Uh, we we executed our game plan and they just outperformed us. Right. So you can live with a team just making shots and, and, and playing better than you as long as you're playing hard, as long as you're being consistent with executing the game plan, as long as we're making the right plays and looking like ourselves. If we lose, we lose. But we had some games where we weren't looking like ourselves. We weren't executing the game plan. We weren't getting back in transition. We were turning the ball over. Like, we weren't playing like ourselves. It wasn't characteristic. So I knew we were close. And, you know, at that point, you're just looking at the schedule to see who you play next. And you're like, okay, got the Lakers coming in town. They're healthy. AD just returned. They're three and two. The only two games they lost are the games that Bron didn't play in or Brown 88 didn't play in one of them, and the other one was the Celtics game, <laughs> right? So you're like, okay, right. like they're playing well, so we just got to go compete. And for us, I never worry about how we're going to play against a, a good team or a team with star caliber players. You know, those are games you feel like everybody gets up for. It's the, the trap games that you worry about where the team right. doesn't necessarily have a great record or doesn't have the... The star caliber um effect that the Lakers have. Those are the games you worry about, especially when you're on a losing streak, because you feel like you're supposed to win. So this was a yeah, game. Yeah, I don't where think
1: we, Brandon Ingram has much trouble getting up for the Lakers, the team that traded him, right? None <laughs> at all. And
0: and he performed in probably his best game of the season outside of some early, early um, you know, Thanksgiving games that he played in
1: yeah he scored 35 points without making a three which is pretty impressive um and it was easily his best game since he got back if not best game of the season but i was curious so before that game uh lebron needed 63 points to get to kareem's scoring record and you could you you kind of noticed it playing out on the road trip where he had the brooklyn and new york back to back so he was going to sit one of those sat brooklyn and so if he would have played throughout probably would have been in position to break the record in this game, but 63 points is what he needed. They'd asked him before, after his previous game, Hey, you got it in you just get, get it out, get it out of the way against new Orleans. He said, that's definitely in me, but I don't know. So I'm just curious you guys in the exact opposite situation. You don't want to hear about any sort of historic moments. You just want to get a win. Uh, (laughs) What was, how did you experience that? Because it was probably the last game where you could realistically say okay he's not going to break the record here but did any of that like cross your mind in terms of him breaking the record there him going on a heater and then making you know your guys losing streak even more miserable
0: it definitely crossed my mind because he's the type of player that's capable of that type of outburst but knowing him knowing where we're at in this season this juncture close to all-star break bodies are starting to get more fatigued talking about a guy who's been in the league 20 years also talking about a guy who's gonna break you know the scoring record He's going to want to do that in L.A. in front of his fans. So for a moment, I thought to myself, if he gets hot, he'll try to get it. But mm-hmm. otherwise, he's going to be comfortable scoring whatever he normally scores, which happens to be 30 points per game. And that will that will basically cut it in half for what he needs um, with two or three home games coming up in L.A. So uh, I thought to myself, I'm not guarding him. I'll be showing. And <laughs> when I am on him, we'll be trapping. So if he gets close, he won't get 63 on me because I'm fouling 100%. Fouling, he's got to go make those at the free throw line. It'll be a boring, uh, record-breaking night for him. But I, I knew we'd be able to defend at a high level. Understanding the fact that we were on a ten-game losing streak, we're at home, fresh off a road trip, fresh off a game in which we lost to Dallas, we knew we needed this game badly. I knew we'd compete and make it difficult on him.
1: And so, what did you once you got that all out of your head? You know, the pomp and circumstance probably didn't even get close to you because it's probably just near to that like Lakers locker room, and you guys got your own things to worry about. But just take me through the end of that game and just the the relief of breaking a 10 game losing streak when you're a team with expectations, because like you can be, you know, the Houston Rockets last year and go through a 10 game losing streak and not even think about it, think twice about it. But for you, what was that like getting over it?
0: It was rough, man. You know, you look at the fact that we were uh, 12 games over 500 at one point. I think when our streak started, we were nine games over 500.
1: And, and at the bottom of it, you were down to 11th. So you were out of even the play-in when you lost that 10th straight.
0: Right, think 13. I think the, the Blazers had passed us after they won two games in a row. So things were looking bad for us. And I think one thing it taught us is the importance of winning, the importance of executing, the importance of the little things and not taking winning for granted because it is hard to win in this league. Things can snowball out of control in a hurry. Every team is a few injuries away from going through a rough patch. I think the Suns went through it earlier this year. We went through it. I think Memphis has lost like seven of eight or I don't know. Whenever Josh said that he's fine in the West, they started losing. And I think it it changes your perspective and your appreciation and approach. And I think for our team, it was a wake-up call. Like, look, it's not easy to win. It's hard. It's not supposed to be easy, but you have to bring it every night. You have to take care of yourself off the court. You have to do the little things, and you have to not put pressure on yourself to win. You got to just execute the game plan and have fun. I think for a moment, we probably lost our joy a little bit because of the pressure of what we're going through. We're losing so much. Now you're feeling like you got to press, like we got to win, got to make a play, got to get stops. And you can't play a sport that way. You can't do many things in life that way, uptight, you know, where you're stressing and you're worrying and you're anxious. And I think we got to that point where we were like, look, we, we lost a lot of games. It don't get no worse than this. We ain't been here before. I've never been through a 10-game losing streak. I've never gone almost a month without winning a game. So I didn't even know what to say at times. I'm like, look, we just got to go hoop and have fun, man. Let it be what it's going to be. If we lose competing our way, then I can live with it. But
1: I can't live with losing, not competing our way. Yeah, I just, I, I how do you get that back? Like the joy part? Because I, I think that's one of the great qualities of Steph Curry, for example. Like, regardless of where they're at, like, if he feels if he's having a good time out there, it sort of you know permeates through to the rest of the team. But like, if you're losing, um, how do you try to regain that? Like, you when you said right there, I don't even know what to say, do you like look to and you know, like maybe the next most veteran player and be like, Hey, you got something?
0: (laughs) GT stepped up and had some good conversations about the importance of competing, right? He's like, Y'all got to compete it looked like y'all just getting comfortable with losing, right? Like you just like, well, Who that? We Garrett Temple? game. Yeah, Garrett Temple. Okay. And I think he's watching everything, right? He gets to see a demeanor. He sees us in practice on the planes. And he's seen the body language kind of shift. And it was just something important that needed to be addressed. And for me, it was more like focus on what you focus on, right? Like instead of worrying about what somebody else is doing or what coach is doing or how you feel like you need this or you need that. What can you do better? And Coach had the same message. Look in the mirror, and he going to look himself in the mirror too and figure out how he can be better so that we're better. And I think the joy came when we just started having fun again, man. Just like playing at home helps for sure. Um, When you shoot and you celebrate somebody else's success or they set a good screen or you go on a run and you're cheering on your teammate, I think that kind of shifted the dynamic. And then we began to defend better getting stops, getting out and running, not having to uh, take the ball out the net every play. It makes the game more fun. And I think we got to that point where we had lost so much, it was just like, yo, let's just go hoop. Even when we got down 10 or 12, we, I think we got down 12 um, against the Lakers. And at one point, we our first league came with six or seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. And that was our first time leading since it was 34 to 32 in the game. <laughs> like we, we just locked into the game. And I think for us, And for me specifically, you find your joys and happiness and things outside of basketball, too. So family, being able to see my son, being able to kind of reconnect, self-center myself, understanding that, like, look, you play a sport. Sports not going the way you want it to. Life is still going to be okay. You're going to win eventually. And when you do, remember what these losses felt like. And remember how you approach your craft, right? Still doing your due diligence, still getting your reps, still getting your treatment, still getting your shots. And you still enjoy in life. You're just not enjoying losing. And I think that was important for me. And I think everybody kind of got back to that when they got home.
1: Um. So the next game, you guys have. Sacramento. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to ask. What's the, is it white me down? That's the, that's the, uh, victory song. Cause I know down here, they got pepas. They got that song where they're going for the second year in a row. So you probably heard that song. I was just like, man, I kind of forgot what that was like. Right. Cause you kind of take it for granted. If you're at home and they play the song, it's like, yeah, we win. We have, we do it all the time. And then it goes a month. And you're just like, man, that feels good. I love that song. First of all, (laughs) It reminds me of just like a happy place and
0: having not heard it, for so long, having just walked off the court to the point where sometimes I was just so pissed, I just buzzed it's not even going off yet, and you're just starting to head towards the locker room because they're dripping the clock out, and you already know what that means. All right? Um, It's frustrating, and I think, man, when you lose and you compete competing as hard as you can, it's just like, it's demoralizing, but when you win after going through all those losses, the, I, I'm mm-hmm. telling you, I threw the ball in there air like we won a championship, man, because it was... <laughs> It was a rough three weeks, dog. Like, it was hard to go yeah. through. Like, this is our livelihood. We're competing at the highest level. we working our tails off. we sacrificing all this time, energy, focus, attention. Our bodies, bodies are sore, hurting. Everybody looking looking at the all-star break like it's almost here. It's almost here. And, and we you see what losing. it could be, too. See what it could be? Like man, the man, way you guys started. If we played at a 500 pace during that losing streak, like we just win one, lose one, lose two, win one you looking at the second or third place right now, right? Yeah. So it's like understanding that we're that close to being great. We're also that close to being out of the playoffs and it's a thin line between success and failure. And I think that was a good wake up call for us. And the timing was perfect because still enough time to recover and recoup some of them losses. we got some wins we can get before the break. Then we get healthy either right before the break or after the break and we'll be whole again. And then it's a sprint, right? Because, all stars not at the halfway point. There's like 20 games left, right? We'll be at yep. 60, basically almost 60 games at the break, and it'll be 22, 23, 24
1: games left. Yeah, that's uh, the tricky part. People think, oh, it's time to like just take a breather, and now we'll start. That no, it's it happens like that, right? After you come back from the All Star break, so you could kind of see it in your guys, sort of the, the everything sort of lifted going into that Sacramento game. At least you played that way. Like I know they didn't have De'Aaron Fox that night, but they're still really really good team and so you guys just probably had your best game in a while at least defensively there you won 136 to 104 um not to say hey back on track or everything like that but brandon ingram seems like he's gotten a little bit of a roll. um you guys won these two games you guys have first time playing sacramento a lot of buzz about sacramento you guys handle them uh pretty easily where's the mindset now like is it hey Maybe we don't want that all-star break to hit, or is it just like, all right, we've got things back together. Let's get Zion and, and sh- you know, sprint to the finish.
0: Still want the all-star break to hit. I'm <laughs> a big fan of the all-star break for the mental reset as much as the physical. Um, it was good to get those two wins. The last win coming um, without Z, without B.I., without Jonas and Dice. Oh, that's right. Brandon didn't play in that game. And that's Jonas right. didn't play either. So that was good to get that win, get other guys confident, more minutes, more reps, allowed him to kind of – get their shots, get to their spots, settle in. And for us to play defense at a high level on the back-to-back is tough, right? Like, that's the hard part, the lateral movement on the back-to-back. Your body is aching, you're tired, you're mentally exhausted from all the losses, all the travel. And to beat a team like that, even though they were without – Fox who's probably going to make the All-Star game is a sign that we're heading in the right direction and as I said after the game we're out of the wilderness. You know, we got a we got a taste of what failure was like. We know what that looks like and now we want to get back to succeeding and competing our way at a high level and appreciating each game, appreciating each moment and appreciating the preparation, the little stuff that we may have neglected during the losing streak. Now we can kind of revisit that and hopefully we can string together um a winning streak here before the break and then extend that when uh whenever Big Fella comes back.
1: Um Talk to me about Trey. He had that uh he had a 30-point game against Sacramento, but he also had that one nice highlight against Keegan Murphy. Keegan Murray, rather, the little crossover in yeah. the dunk. He seems to sort of really and I feel like I asked you about him once a month, but he seems to really be sort of yeah. recognizing his abilities.
0: Yeah, Trey had a great night, and I think he's getting more comfortable. He's getting more confident. He's reading closeouts better. He got some relocation threes where he's moving without the ball, driving and passing. You talked about the play in which he catches the ball. He breaks down Keegan Murray with a big right to left crossover, goes and dunks it, yells, and obviously they end up calling timeout. Shooting ball with range. He hits some big shots against the Lakers from you know 26, 27, 28 feet. Um, I think the is the limit for him. And I'm I'm thankful to to see his growth. Thankfully that he's our teammate. And he's a 6'10 guy who's just now tapping into um what what should be a long, healthy, happy, fruitful
1: career for him on the court and financially yeah i think that's the part that that gets me about him it's just reminding how big he is how long he is for that position it's just like he looks natural playing it's not like an oversight it's like a kd sort of you know big guy playing a small forward spot and yeah i'm a fan um your conference got a little tougher it feels like uh <laughs> the big trade that happened before the trade deadline Kyrie going to the mavericks in my head there was um all the Mavericks fans were listening to Bomani Jones saying, hey, yeah, Mark Cuban does. And then, boom, Mark Cuban fixed the roster by <laughs> by uh, picking up Kyrie there. But um, what did you think, not just in terms, like the basketball sort of, you know, nerd in you say, wow, you know, that, that probably just triggers all kinds of emotions. But just like from, A, the person who probably knew he wasn't going to get traded this offseason, but also like seeing what the landscape looks like after the trade and how it affects you directly. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm in a more secure
0: position around the deadline, but I will say anything could happen, right? Like, yep. there's only a handful
1: of players that are untradeable
0: in this league. And
1: to be honest, I did see a proposed Kyrie Irving for CJ McCollum trade uh, probably on Saturday of last week. So gotcha. it's always something.
0: Yeah, it's always something. I think financially, like the situation has to work for both teams. The players need to be on the same either trajectory or along the lines of what they want to accomplish. So there's a lot that goes into that. But I say this all the time, and I had this talk with some of our players. I said, look, man, I've been through – this will be my 10th trade deadline. I've been in trade rumors for eight of them. This will be one in which, you know, like you said, there's kind of rumors, but not really. And my rookie year, I wasn't getting traded because I had a broken foot. Outside of that, every year I was in rumors. And I think it's, hmm. it's a maturity level that you have to have with this sport, understanding the business aspect of it, but also understanding the human aspect of it's okay to feel – a certain type of way when you see yourself in trade rumors or you see people speaking ill of you. But I said, you also have to understand the fact that you can't make everybody happy. It's impossible. Um, And if you're in trade rumors, that means you have value. So you should be happy and thankful that other teams could potentially want, want to acquire you or want to trade for you as a part of an asset, whether that's a pick or players. And that the chances of you staying on one team for your entire career are slim to none. In my draft, for example, Giannis and I were the only two players left on the same team that drafted them. Now it is just Giannis. And yeah. looking at our roster, there's a Zion. There's a running Ingram. Ain't no Giannis. <laughs> so if, if somebody's going to be a life on this team, it's Zion because mm. BI has already been traded. So I think I like, you guys got to understand that part of the business. Like something could happen. Something may not happen. Be a pro, do your job, and don't put extra pressure on yourself to hoop. Like you're here for a reason. You're going to be here for a reason, or you're going to be playing for somebody else. And I think that's the important part to look at. And the professional human element of I could be traded in three days is is tough to think about, but you're going to go through this every, every trade deadline. I think as you grow and as you get older, you get more comfortable with the fact that this is completely out
1: of your control. Yeah. I just can't imagine the, like even the Kyrie thing, like you might have, you've gotten sort of a heads up, Hey, you might be going here, Da da da. But like He's the trade demand happened. It's one week's time. It could be any of these places. And now you've got to spend three to four months just living there and getting to know all these people and play. that's just that to me does not seem like a a good place to be for mental health for any sort of uh, segments of your life.
0: Absolutely not. And, And that's what people don't understand. And right, right or wrong, you ask for a trade, right? You get traded. You don't really have control as to where you go. You got control over you getting traded when you're expiring because it's, it's, you walk for free where they get something for you type of thing. But think about this for a second. And for people that have families out there the people that have jobs, maybe you like your job, maybe you don't. And I'm talking to like the casual listener right now. Like maybe you enjoy your job. Maybe there's a job out there that you feel is better for you, better location. Maybe it's better pay. Maybe you just feel like you need a change in scenery. Mm-hmm. Imagine you have no control over it. It happens, but you got kids or you got a significant other. That's the dynamic that's hard for people to kind of digest. It's like the money is whatever. We get paid great. We have a lot of freedom, flexibility, financial power. And a lot of us have generational wealth because of this sport, which is awesome. But to uproot your family is a tough thing to do, no matter what type of money you have. Because once your kids get a certain age, once your spouse has a, a job or whatever the case may be, now you're affecting their lives, their happiness, which is going to affect your life. And your happiness and your peace. And I think that's the hard part, especially when you don't know what's coming. When you don't know what's coming and you get traded and now you got to scramble and now you you may have a nanny that lives there, but now you got a new pediatrician you got to find. And now you got sure. like that's a that's a whole another issue that we all have to deal with and thankfully i haven't besides this last trade but i think that's a tough part that people don't really understand no matter how much money you got when you uproot somebody and drop them in another state like it, it changes everything
1: yeah i mean it, and also wouldn't that change literally how much money you make if you in, are, are traded from what because your your home like now goes to that state doesn't matter where you signed the contract right
0: yeah in Kyrie's case he's gonna make a lot more money living in texas than he will and then
1: right So not the worst deal for him. You guys only have Dallas, I think, one more time. So it's not going to you're not going to see him or them that much more. But uh, in just your basketball mind, do you think of them as being better with him? Or is it typical where they can be better? You just got to work it out over time.
0: Better is our relative. Is Kyrie a phenomenal player who's going to make them win some games? Absolutely. Are they going to be better? It just depends on. Health, right? You've seen their team with Luca without Luca. So how long are right. they healthy? Same thing that we're going through now in New Orleans that Brooklyn is going through, Phoenix is going through it. Um Indiana went through it. Like every team, Miami has gone through the injuries. So I think that plays a factor. And then the second part is coexisting together. Like Kyrie has played with some of the best players ever, right? LeBron, very ball dominant, also loves to pass. KD, ball dominant, but also more off-ball work in terms of pin downs, flares, can run pick and roll, scores in transition, but doesn't have to bring the ball to every play. Luca high usage rate. So I think there's going to be some time in which they kind of figure it out. But you're talking about Kyrie, who's played in Boston with Tatum and Brown. He's played in a lot of different places with a lot of different players. And one thing he knows how to do is score to basketball. And I think honestly, his most natural gift is his ability to create space and score. So it may be good for him to play alongside Luca and be off the ball. Some, because that gives Luca some freedom and flexibility, but also gives Kyrie a chance to run the second unit. Or if they stagger minutes, some to where he yeah. can go, he can be on the ball. He can be off the ball. And you're talking about a wizard, right? Like this guy is, he's,
1: Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be.
0: Probably one of the greatest separation creators we'll ever see in the sport um, in terms of footwork, fadeaways, crossovers, dribbling, ability to shoot off the dribbling score. He's nearly 50-40-90 right now as we speak. High volume, high usage, no KD right now the last few weeks. So I think they'll be great to watch. Now you talk about the defense. What does that look like? Um, Christian Wood, I think they gave up. They gave up. Was Finney Smith in that trade as well? hmm A really good defender for them, right? Spencer, oh, yeah. who, who's adjusting to playing lead role, was having a good year. I think he was shooting 46 from the field, 40 from three, 17, about five assists. So they lost some good pieces, and not to mention some picks that would be compliments to Luca. But now I guess from the looks of it, they're all in on this backcourt and making this work and getting Kyrie extension. So I think those who said that Mark wasn't willing to do what it takes to build around Luca, he's showing you that I'll give up picks. I'm trying to win, and I'm trying to win now, and I've always tried to win. I think that's a sign of um, an owner trying to do what's necessary to not
1: only make sure that their best player is happy, but make sure that they're putting themselves in position to win a championship. It's funny, I've never thought, and I know Bo said what he said a couple of shows ago, I've never thought that Mark didn't try to do what was best for the i thought he could i thought some players just didn't want to go there i thought some you know there might have been a trade or two where he passed on or didn't get where it was just like man they should have gotten that one but it wasn't for lack of trying it was just for you know the, the decision making so that part's weird i was not shocked at all like i thought the best fit and the the and steve Ballmer would sort of pull this and just hey whatever it takes get me kyrie but next on my list was probably cuban and so you know, the fact that they did it, good for them. And if they can get that extension, great. It's almost like they switched roles, the two teams. It's like, here, KD, let's see if you can win a championship as the main guy uh, with all these, you know, parts around you. And, hey, you guys over there, see if you can figure it out together. And I do think, you're right, it's easier for KD because just he's he needs a point guard or utilizes a point guard more, right? Comes off the ball and all that stuff. But, but if I remember correctly the, you know, 16, 17, whatever versions of the Cavaliers, I remember the best version of them was just kind of like whenever LeBron was like, okay, you go for a little bit, Kyrie. And that's what it felt like, you know, when he scored 57 in San Antonio, like I just remember LeBron most of the time just kind of standing there and watching him work because, you know, Kyrie could do that. And so if I'm Luca, I don't know how much I want that at this point in my career, but I think he's already had enough of a taste of knowing that he is not enough, like even as good as he is, is not enough. So I think for the sake of whatever's going to happen this year, I think he'd be more than willing to give up some of that usage rate and say, Hey, Kyrie, go ahead. Like, it's not like Luke is in the best shape in the world. We know he's going to want to um, have some energy left late in the playoffs. So I think, I think it's going to work out great if they can figure out a defensive system.
0: Yeah. To comment on two parts of this, right. I think, I know, I know, uh, Omani said some things about Mark that I didn't agree with as well. I think, mm-hmm. having known Mark, he tries to win. He wants to win above most things. He cares about the success of the franchise and making sure that his team is well equipped to win. And I think this move shows that. And I think the second part of this is Luca's usage rate. We've talked about whether or not that's sustainable, you know over the course of not only a career, but over the course of a season as you head into the playoffs, can you win a championship with a guy having a usage rate that high that doesn't play back to the basket as a post player? It's yet to happen. So I think this gives him a chance to lower his usage rate, but also get more help. Lucas faced a lot of double teams. We doubled him all the time. because you have to. He's too big, too too strong, too smart, too clever, ability to create free throws, all those things. He's going to get doubled. Kyrie is hard to go out one-on-one or two-on-one, right? So this gives you another guy who can score a 50 or 60 in a night if he has to. A guy who's consistently scored over 25 points per game. A guy who shoots 90 from the line. A guy who hits game winners. A guy who's so good, arguably the best player in the world has said, you take the game winner the best player in the world has said, you take the game winner. We've seen that the last few years. So this gives Luca another guy who can hit big shots, who can carry the load, who can allow Luca to rest the second night of some back-to-backs, as you talked about. Um, Luca has already accomplished most of the things you can accomplish individually outside of an MVP, right? Mm -hmm. He's going to be a starter in this all-star game. So I think it's come to the point in time in which you have to think about it, similar to what James Harden went through. How much is enough until I say I got to win and I can I cannot score 33 a night. Maybe I score 28 or 29. I give up 4 or 5 points a night, but I'm winning and my body feels better. And maybe that 20 29 turns into 26 and 12 or whatever the case may be right. because now you're passing to another guy who can go get 25 to 30. So I think this is something that could be good for him in the long run. Obviously the relationship has to work. They got to coexist, figure out spacing. Jay kid's going to have his hands full with the playbook, figuring out the balance of what to call. They run a lot of stack. They run a lot of snap action where it's a big coming to set the pick and a guard coming to screen, the big and slipping out. They got some off ball stuff they can do with Kyrie now where Luca can be the handler. So from a matchup standpoint, they're going to be a nightmare. And I think the rest of the league understands that it's just about, how far they can go together and
1: if it's going to work. Yeah, they got Maxi Kleber coming back from a hamstring injury, probably not for a little bit, but they've got some pieces there that haven't, or at least him anyway, hasn't played in a little bit. I, I'm excited about it. Um, Looking forward to it. I wanted to ask you one last thing here. Um, So I saw, I, I don't know what your normal um Social media approach is right. Uh, I don't know if I don't think you tweet mostly after games and stuff, but you tweeted after uh the weekend. You said I think it was a great weekend, right? And you had a couple of uh in game shots and a couple of sneaker shots, and man, those things got my attention. Talk to me about these lean eggs and why are they so dope.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I'm glad you've seen that, man. And if you wear a size 12 or 12 and a half, I can look out for you. If you yeah. don't, there's gonna take you some time.
1: No, no worries. I'll take the wine.
0: <laughs> the yeah i got you on that the brown shoe is a is a pe that i play in so this is basically my signature shoe The the mold the model of it this is the cj uh two actually this is my second shoe this colorway is a is a is a way of paying homage to to lehigh so you see the brown right um the the shades of brown back in my lehigh days we called them the poop suits the brown tops brown bottoms. (laughs) but this is more of a uh, a way of representing the mountain Hawk, right? The color of it, the scheme of it, the the way the logo was kind of darker to kind of show the wings that would flap on the mountain Hawk. And then on the tongue, which you can't see, there's two eyes, which is the mountain Hawk eyes uh, on our actual logo um, with the little kind of like green over the eye. And this was just a cool shoe that I, you know, had made just uh, to pay respect to my college. This purple shoe is the Mardi Gras shoe, uh, which is, mm-hmm. Bright, fun, colorful, it's Mardi Gras season, and everybody's starting to eat the king cake, so it makes sense. You can see that I got the little mask on the inside of it, and it's just fun colors to complement our NOLA um, theme jerseys that we have for Mardi Gras. So those are two shoes I've been wearing the last week. I'll start posting more of my colorways and kind of what they mean. I played in a black and in um, pink shoe that was uh, a way for me paying respect to my to my aunt who passed away. Her favorite color was pink, and we actually wore pink um ties uh when we buried her so I have like colorways that mean mm. certain things to me I have a white colorway that's a dental shoe for my wife who's a dentist and has like little teeth on it and stuff like that yeah, and we just kind of make yeah so we make different shoes just based on things that matter to me or mean something to me I'll have a wine colorway that i probably play in at some point and so on <laughs> and so forth I need a Jacoby colorway for my son too
1: I think I think this is an Oregon one. So probably somebody you're probably familiar with. But uh yeah, no, those uh those sneakers are fire. Cause as soon as I saw the post, I was like, I went to the comment section. I was like, it's only gonna be people talking about those sneakers, and that's what it was. It was like, hey, where can I find those? And it's hey, leaning, baby. I know down here, like I've got some leanings from you know Dwayne Wade's original, you know, gotcha. Wave Wade shoes and a Jimmy Butler pair and stuff, but I gotta get me some CJs because those are fire. I appreciate that, man. I'll,
0: I'll let my rep know. Um that it's, it's it's time for him to make sure that you get some
1: some colorways and maybe we'll do a podcast colorway, too. Oh, hell yeah. I like that. So, CJ, this airs on Thursday, which is a week away from the all star break uh, in Utah. Um, are you going to be there anyway? Do you have any plans? Can you get away or is this one of those? Mr. President, we need you, sir.
0: Uh, It's definitely one of those, Mr. President, we need you, sir, moments in which I will be there doing my duties, speaking to the players, uh, player reps, executive committee alongside Tamika and um, just kind of going over CBA, going over status quo, where we're at uh, with the league in terms of our discussions, but also discussing with the players, what we want to accomplish not only this summer, but in years to come and how we want to make the game better for players to come after us. So I think. I'll be there for those, those types of things, do some community service events while I'm out there, attend a few brunches, and then my wife and I will be heading to Park City for a couple days before nice. we head back. And Yeah, that seven-day
1: or the week-long All-Star break, game changer, because that, that thing used that to too. go away like that, and if you just had to fly into Utah, you didn't even have a break. But that actually does remind me of something. Um, the MBPA and NBA uh, agreed to extend... The deadline for negotiations, could you tell me what that means for like the average fan who's saying to themselves, hey, do I have to worry about any sort of work stoppage or any sort of issues with uh, me not getting my games? And I would say we're heading in the right direction. I think the
0: extension was a no-brainer for both sides for us to continue our dialogue and our interactions and conversations. Obviously, governors continue to speak about things that are important to them and players being able to kind of figure out what we like to accomplish as a whole to, to figure out ways to make our game better. But with us being in season, governors obviously being in season and having their other Uh, their ventures and things that they need to attend to just makes more sense to, to push it uh, to the summer and still continue to have that dialogue, those meetings, those discussions continue to collectively bargain together uh, while figuring out how to get through this season and not delaying anything that, that may uh, come up in the future, including
1: playoffs and finals. All right, cool. So nothing to worry about and you will not be traveling uh, this week. So have fun at home have fun against the hawks and uh the cleveland cavaliers and we'll talk next week
0: i will i will i appreciate that and shout out to mark for listening to the podcast and the office is on its way to being fixed
1: oh man bare walls last (laughs) days of them finally (laughs) we we hope we hope